mum had messaged us on Facebook saying her 16-year-old son has rosacea. You have rosy cheeks, effectively. Never would try makeup. He would never have his photo taken. He didn't want to go out. And then she showed the brand. He really liked it, tried it. And then she sent a picture saying, I'm crying, send you this photo. That was the first interaction I'd ever have of being more than a fucking product. That's Danny Gray. And this is one of my favourite conversations in a long time. Danny had a childhood which I can relate to. Bullying, trauma, mental disorders. It left him with scars that no one else could see and eventually led to him starting Warpaint, a men's makeup brand that is on an unbelievable growth path. They're creating a new category. I mean, they've already created it. How many people go on Dragon's Den, get offers from all five dragons and then ultimately turn them down? Madness. In this episode, we find out what really happened behind the cameras. Danny is also the founder of Jack, a mental health platform which covers everything from depression to addiction, hair loss to periods. They've managed to get A-listers like Alistair Campbell to bear their souls, explaining the toughest things they've been through, because hearing from people with lived experience of your problems is a key part of feeling understood and ultimately being able to tackle your demons. Danny looks and sounds like a Jack the Lad. He says that was his image, but it was all an image, forged in a childhood which crushed his confidence. I was um, growing up in Chelmsford Giles. I had obviously my mum and my dad. Mum and dad split up when I was young, six years old. But my dad was sort of my idol. He was entrepreneurial. You know, it was tough when they did actually split up. But then quite quickly, I got into normality of them not being together. My childhood was pretty good up to about the age of 11 and 12. And then some things happened which have shaped me to today, really. Tell us, what happened to you? What life-changing moment actually occurred? Well, there's a few things. At 12, like at school, enjoyed school. And then out of nowhere, I got bullied because of my appearance. Um, so my ears used to be right across my head. And look, I didn't have a care in the world about my appearance, didn't really care. And then some boys took the mic out of my ears um, on the school playground. They started singing the R. Kelly song, I Believe I Can Fly. But I had a, I had a, it had a massive impact on me. Just got home straight away, noticed my ears, this is account. And then that was it. That started my obsession about the way I looked, so much so... When you look back now, I realise how much it affected me because at 12, my mum had my ears pinned back within three months on the NHS. So that probably shows at 12 years old how much it was affecting me. Uh, but I'll get on to that in a bit. But then off the back of that, I've only talked about this recently, but then my mum was in a very abusive relationship for a few years, which obviously shaped me. But then my mental health gradually would get worse and worse. And then I got to about 15 or 16. Look, I'm, when I say uh, at that age, it wasn't like, uh, it was severe, but you know, when I would get spots at that age, like any normal kid does, I didn't have acne or anything severe, but a, a spot to me was a massive issue. Turned to my sister and then she gave me a little bit of concealer and mate, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe like what product did and how it could help me. So that was my start really of using makeup. Little moments can make a huge difference to how we see ourselves, particularly in our formative years. Danny couldn't stop comparing himself to others, but things were never the same again after he spoke with someone in his family. Look, school, did all right. GCSEs, all right. Wasn't excelling. Um, certain things I was, but others I wasn't. All of my cousins did very well. When one of my cousins got 14 GCSEs, I just remember that being pounded. Some of my cousins went to Eton. You know, and honestly, I felt... Like, what, what have I achieved? I was good at sport, but not the best, you know? And then I can remember going to a party and one of my relatives, I wouldn't say who it was, 
but she was going around and it was all about, oh, look, he goes to Eton and look how well he's done. And then she came up to me and we're at this family party and she went, oh, well, you are the best looking grey. You are the best looking grey. And then I swear, all I thought then was that's all I've got. And I'm not saying I'm good looking because that it's very difficult for me to think like that. So any time after that, I thought that's, I have to look perfect. I have to look perfect. So especially at a family party, and, you know, that just ingrained even more on me that my looks and how I appear is really important. And it literally, I think, I can remember it now, that moment. I didn't know, but that was a catalyst for me, for my mental health to get worse and worse from what someone said. And that same person, years before, at a house, we were at a barbecue. She had a massive house. And I had a row with her son. Oh, not a row. Like, I pulled his shorts down in the swimming pool. Right? She pulled me out of the swimming pool and I'd been in trouble at school at that point. And she went, you're a disgrace to the family. I was about 13, 14. She went, you're a disgrace. Disgusting. And said it to me one on one around the corner. And then the next thing she said to me, the only thing that was ever positive was when I was 19, she said, you're the, well, you are the best looking. And it was just in me, I, that's it. You know, and sometimes you look back at stuff that shapes your life. I've never talked about this before. And she'll know. She probably won't listen to this, but she'll know. She'll know. I'll be honest, I hated her. I hated her. And it was really fucking hard. Do you know what I mean? Like, something as simple as that just can shape everything because I thought that's all I've got. And then you feel worthless. And that's why I probably didn't start war paint till a lot later. You don't believe in yourself. And now, because war paint's going well, and obviously Jack's got a lot of attention and stuff. I go, to these, I go, I see her now. She's like, oh my God, you're unbelievable. I'm like, the fuck are you to say that? From when you were, what you were saying before, you know. And that's the problem. When you worry about other people you don't fucking like. People you don't care about. And you worry about their opinion. I don't give a shit anymore. I don't like, the people I don't care about, my best mates are everything to me and my family, my close family, that's all I care about. And their opinion, my kids. And then I used to worry about so much about what she thought. And then when it goes well, turns around and says, you're amazing. You're like, it's fucking bullshit. And that clicked for me. Just changed everything. Like, why the fuck was I worried about her? And do you know what? Beginning of war, I remember that I, was, I wanted to succeed so she could see. Which is fucking not a way to run a business, by the way. It's not you should do it for yourself. You know, not yourself. You should do it because you want to do it. And I, war pain for me was like... I just wanted to prove, and some that is really bad headspace for me to prove things to other people, you know. And honestly, now I don't care. How did you find tackling this moment of personal conflict and confidence? Like, how what was your personal journey with confidence through that period? I would always come across very confident. You know, my secondary school, I didn't have a care in the world. I was all right academically. I'd seen confident to a lot of people, but internally I, I wasn't, right? Which I think a lot of people sort of see. And what I think about confidence, it's not arrogance. It's about if you're confident, I think a lot of the time you're the best version of yourself because especially for me, right? If I don't feel comfortable or confident, I wouldn't be able to talk today quite openly. I'd, feel, I'd have anxiety up to my neck and then it just affects my performance. Even though I seem confident now, I'm more self-aware now than I was when I was 18 to 20 to 25, where I seemed confident, but in, honestly, in the background, I wasn't. And there was a lot of stuff going on in my head and it was almost forced, this confidence, where now I'm a little bit more confident and it's more natural because I feel more comfortable with myself. It makes me realise that when I was growing up between my 20s, 
to 30s, I seemed confident, but I wasn't. I wasn't because I had mental stuff going on and trauma. And then a lot of the time, it would take me a long time to feel comfortable to be to that confident point to go out. And that was a lot of my issues. So I suffer with BDD or body dysmorphic disorder where I obsess about the way I look. So getting ready, right? When, when my mental health was getting worse, I needed to get feel a certain point before I'd go out to be the normal me. And gradually that time would get more and more and longer and longer and longer getting ready. Like it could take me three, four hours to get ready. And then, you know, that's where my mental health gradually between my sort of, I'd say mid twenties, late thirties got really bad. So it was affecting my, 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 my daily life. So confidence, it's a long answer that mate, but confidence for me was, I might've seen confident a long time ago, but it took me a long time to get to that point, which was the problem. A lot of great entrepreneurs have something burning inside them because of early life circumstances. Looking back, Danny was destined to start something. I've always been quite entrepreneurial. So at 16, I started a bouncy castle company, believe it or not. Couldn't drive. So I bought three bouncy castles, wound in wheelbarrows around my village. So I'd always wanted to start my own business. And I had a load of ideas. I had a corporate career from 20 to 30, which was quite successful. But I always had this concept of a men's makeup brand because I kept thinking there's got to be a brand that comes out that all of a sudden I, because what I used to do, mate, I used to go to Tesco's and nick it. I said, nick makeup because I was ashamed to buy it. And colour matching, I thought the education, I thought women can overcomplicate makeup. They seem it takes forever. It would take me two minutes. And I was like, God, like, there needs to be a brand. Some brands came out and I was like, it's just, it's, you know, I would see brands come out and it would be a men's brand. And then the tutorials on there would be a female makeup artist putting it on men in 25 minutes. And I'd be like, what the, f that's, that's not what I would do. So anyway, I kept talking about it and I was on the golf course one day with my best mate. I'll always tell you a story. I was on the second hole, par five, second shot. And he turned around to me and he was literally like, Dan, you've got to stop talking about it and just do a men's makeup brand. And it was like a trigger. It was like, a, I promised you in my head. I was like, right, I'm doing it. I literally couldn't wait to get off the golf course. He beat me and I blame it on, because I wanted to get off the golf course. And I sat in my car for like three hours, four hours. And I just called everyone I knew about starting a brand. I had no idea about beauty, no concept of e-commerce websites. The first person I actually called was my cousin, who's a web designer. And that was it for me. That was the start of me going, right, I'm going to create a brand that I would want to buy. And I think that's always a good place to start. If you are that target audience, it does give you a massive head start. And the other thing, because I wasn't from the beauty industry, had no idea about it. I thought that was a negative. My look back now is probably a massive positive because I didn't have preconceptions. So anyway, that, that was the start for me with like that. And then that was it. And then I can remember... The next morning I woke up and because I made a conscious decision to start this brand, for me, that was it, I'm doing it. The feeling I had, mate, in my stomach was unbelievable. I had a corporate job and I was sat at work and I was buzzing because I'd, I'd made the decision, right? So that was the start of me trying to create a men's makeup brand that led to Warpaint. Is an exceptionally good name. Who came up with it? I'd like to say I did in a moment of wisdom, but I literally, I can remember years before that, I watched a program and there was a woman on there that said, I'm going to put on the war paint on some program. And I, because that's what, it was a slang, right? It was actually a slang. Funny enough, when I went for the trademark, they declined it first because it was too much of a slang for makeup and I had to go through lawyers to prove that war paint was actually a, a term used by Native Americans. Da, 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 da. But I heard her say it, I was like, wow, that is, I love that name. So that was it. I'd always had that name for years in my head. So when I started the brand, I was like, it's war paint. It's war paint. That's it. It's amazing. Again, coming back to confidence, you know, as a man, as a 
someone who creates content increasingly more, etc. I still find it super uncomfortable psychologically, the idea of putting makeup on myself. And I'm definitely the more feminine one in the relationship between me and my wife. So definitely not like a macho man or like any of that stuff. And yet still, there's a barrier, right? There's a discomfort barrier. So how common is that? Is that like, how do you get your customers? So where, where do you start and how do you grow? I don't want to push it to say you have to use it. It's just there's a lot of guys and we've had a lot of people reach out to us to say, I'd never thought about using it. I've been afraid to. Thank you so much. Now I've tried it. I understand the difference. So the one that really hit me is when we launched, it started going well, right? So it was me and a 19-year-old girl in a flat. It took about 40 months worth of development. I tested the market, which is always key. So brought some products in from China, really cheap, 100 units, put a really shit logo on it. Created a very basic website. We put some social ads out. We made seven orders in 24 hours. So I was like, right, stop. Let's do it properly. So then I went away and formulated my own makeup and we started selling. And in the first month, I forecasted two grand in sales. We did 11. Second month, I think I said five grand, we did 28. Third month, I said 11 grand, we did 36. You know, and I'm picking and packing the orders as well and stuff like that. But what happens in the first few months, we got a few good messages that sort of really opened up my eyes. And one of them was about a boy a mum and messages on Facebook saying her 16-year-old son has rosacea, right? So that's a skin condition where you have rosy cheeks, effectively. Never would try makeup, ever. She tried to get him to use it. He would never have his photo taken. He didn't want to go out. And then she showed the brand. He really liked it, tried it. And then she sent a picture of him to us on Facebook saying, I'm crying, send you this photo. That was the first interaction I'd ever have of be more than a fucking product. And it hit me really hard to be like, oh my God, like, that's amazing. And then, so five years ago when we launched, guys look in good shape, good looking guys, if you want to call them that, tattoos up to their neck was like the new trend, you know, these tattoos everywhere. So I used those models and that's the sort of content we put out and it got a lot of traction, but in a positive and negative sense. So when we put ads out, it got absolutely killed, like with comments. And because I was very new to it, I was like, oh my God. But now the worst thing about people talking about you are people not talking about you, right? So that really set us apart from what anyone else was doing in the space. But then we put it out on Twitter after about three, four months. We put that ad out on Twitter and we trended number one in the world on Twitter. And we had 8 million views in 24 hours, but it was negative. And we were on CNN, Good Morning America, every news article, toxic masculinity, this brand's a joke, you should just buy female makeup. And I was sat there devastated, devastated because I thought the brand was over. And for me, that was the whole thing I'd always been battling against was this preconception of you should just, oh, men should just buy female makeup. Don't, don't worry about it. I'm like, fucking hell. Like, that's the problem. Like these young, not young kids, anyone, it's like, oh, well, just go, go to Tesco's or just go down to Mac and buy some female product. They're never going to do it. So they're never going to try it. And that was front and centre, like literally CNN news. But what I noticed then was no one was talking about my story, which was on the site, but very hidden because I was still very ashamed of it. And that's when I made a conscious decision to tell my story. And then just so happened, three days later, I'm filming Dragon's Den. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. 
The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Obviously, you'd applied for Dragon's Den like a considerable amount of time before, right? So talk to us a little bit about... As in, so just so I'm clear, you were filming Dragon's Den or Dragon's Den was about to go live? About to go live. So we literally went viral on the Tuesday, I think. Monday or Tuesday. It was May the 9th. I know that because it was my sister's birthday because I was out for a meal and it just went carnage. It was the worst time of my life. Literally came in the office, mate. I'm putting the phone down. It's ringing every minute and it's news articles. Just wanting interviews. Yahoo News, Daily Mail, inbox. And then that was on Tuesday. On the Thursday... Oh, Wednesday, Thursday, I drove up to Manchester because we're filming Manchester the night before. I'm pulling over to do interviews for America, lambasting the brand, and then I'm filming Dragon's Den the next day. So I made that conscious decision when I went on to Dragon's Den to tell my story, which I, I, I probably wouldn't have done to the extent that I did. That's amazing. It's interesting, isn't it? How these little, you know, butterfly effect, right? The moment and experience of one thing really impacts the other. So talk to us a little bit about Dragon's Den though. What was that like as an experience for you? It was an amazing experience, but I was shitting myself. And I wasn't shitting myself in terms of, you know, because they, they grill your numbers, they grill you in sales. Before that, a month before, L'Oreal asked me to go to Paris. So I went to Paris and pitched at L'Oreal to join the incubator program. And I it clocked on me how well we were doing because there was other brands there. And in two years, they sold 2,000 products. In three months or four months, we sold 15,000. I had confidence in how well we were doing, numbers I can just do, can't spell. So I was confident in all of that, but because of what had happened by going viral on Twitter, I'm at that conscious decision to tell my story, because the problem is, and this goes back to mental health, right? Even though I started this men's makeup brand, I was very secretive about it a little bit, because my mates knew and everyone, but you know the outer circle, who you care about more, who you don't give, you shouldn't really give a fucking shit about. I was more worried about what they would perceive of me to, to, about body dysmorphia, wearing makeup, because I was just jack the lad. Da, 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 da. So when I went on Dragon's Den, I was like, I've just got to be completely honest. So I was super nervous, like really nervous. And then went out and then did my pitch. And the first 10 minutes, 
was me telling my story and then getting grilled, if I'm honest. For the ter- for, I was in there for an hour and 45 minutes and they cut it down to 15, obviously, but the first 15, 20 minutes was pretty brutal. But I sort of batted a lot of that back and then it just flipped and it was actually Peter Jones who just turned around and out of nowhere went, I've got to say, it's incredible. And I was a bit like, Phew. and then it was just, after that, it was, it was very positive. But then we had, that, well, I had a massive negotiation with him. But interesting what happened, right? After that, so then I knew it was coming out. And so I got all my mates around to watch it at my sister's house. It was on a Sunday. And when they released it, you don't know what the edit's going to be like. And it went really well. It was an unbelievable experience. Obviously a few beers. But afterwards it trended and it went viral, which doesn't normally happen on Dragon's Den. Next day, Daily Mail said best one in 14 years. But it trended and the messages I was getting was just overwhelming around the story, why the brand's been created. And that was just, that changed everything. It was just unbelievable, the difference. And that just shifted the brand. What did it do for your own mental health and your own confidence? I'll tell you what it did do, mate. It made me realize that a lot of people focus on the fucking product, right? And I promised you now, it's nothing to do with the product. The product's got to be good. It's got to be a given. You know, when I was raising capital before five years ago, or three, four years ago, I can remember everyone was talking about VCs, talking about sustainability. Oh, we're all looking at sustainable products. In my head, I'm like, what? And I didn't mean it in a bad way. I just thought it's going to have a fucking shelf life because everything's got to have to be sustainable. Sure enough, raising capital three years, four years later, no one's even mentioned sustainability because it's a fucking given. Same with ingredients. So that shifted my mentality around... I'm talking about the product too much. You've got to talk about my story and why we've created this brand and what my belief is. And that just, that was a total shift change. So my confidence just grew a lot to then talk about the story and why I created the brand, what I'm trying to do, which really identified war paint. And that's when I employed a full-time videographer when we're very small. And it was just, I was like, I just want you to film everything. Just film everything. And that was a big change for us. During the den, if I'm right, you actually changed your mind at the last minute about the money and equity that you were fundraising for just before going into the den, right? So what actually happened with that? Well, it, I don't know. It's just one of those, isn't it? I went in with a preconception of like, I wanted X amount for X amount. And someone said to me, I won't say to who, just before I went on, do you want to think about how much you're asking for? Because it's such an amazing brand story. You just don't want it all by be diluted before asking too much money. So I checked, like, I literally, just before I went on, changed my mind, which is ridiculous, by the way, which is ridiculous. Don't do that. And then, so when I went in, I actually stumble when I say about the equity. If you watch it, I'm like, so in my head, I was like, oh, I halved the valuation. So that's when I did that negotiation. I was like, fucking hell, I'm not going below what I wanted to. So it was a rock, it wasn't a good business sense to do it like that, but it worked out again. Talk about fate, or it worked out really well because when in the negotiation, I was so stern and I wasn't giving more away, and it actually that was a big part of of that Dragons Den episode. Like a lot of people afterwards, I was wearing no socks as well. So and we were doing Brexit at the time, and it trended uh, no socks for Brexit to negotiate it. So, but yeah, it just put me in a position where I was like, I'm not taking less than that. And interestingly, mate, so I done that show. I filmed it, it was exhausting, came off. When I walked off, the director was crying. And I'm like, but I walked off fuming that I'd give too much away, even though I'd done the deal. I didn't like the deal. And she was like, what's wrong? And she, I said, why are you crying? She says, it's the best one I've done in seven years. And it was just emotional. And I was like, she said, why aren't you happy? And I was like, because I've given too much away. And so when I filmed afterwards the interview, they literally had to do it about five times because I was fuming. <laughs> 
but yeah, so I actually didn't do the deal afterwards. Yeah, so talk to us a little bit about that. What happens then? So if you're like, all right, you know what? I realized that was pretty stupid. Um, it turns out I don't want to do the deal because I've heard this actually. And I know a couple of the dragons. Yeah, I've never really asked this question to them. So what happens like if you decide you don't want to do it? Is that fine? Does it work both ways? Yeah, it's, it's like anything, right? It's a handshake on the show. And it is almost like a gentleman's agreement that you're going to do the deal. So it's a handshake, yeah, but then all your due diligence has to happen afterwards. You have to, you meet, you go through all your due diligence pack, you prove out the valuation, you prove out your sales even more. You have to do that before you go on, by the way. You can't just say, I'm doing these sales and then go on and then prove afterwards. You have to prove before you go on there. But I looked at it and thought, effectively, the business was valued at 700,000, right? Because of the valuation. And we turned over, I've been going six months, we turned over 230K. Which was when you even you look at it now when you just understand. I don't think anyone's done those sales, and I didn't really understand about valuations and stuff like that. And I just came out and thought, well, I'm giving a lot away, and what can they add? They said, well, we can get you in retail. And for me, look, they probably could, but I thought I could do it on my own, so I decided not to do that. Which was probably the best decision ever because four months later we got valued, uh, we raised at five point two million, and never looked back. So the valuation went up. (laughs) The valuation went up. Look. I'm talking as if I'm a millionaire, like valuations are very different to what you actually own, right? But yeah, we got a good valuation and went from there. I think Dragon's Den is amazing entertainment and a brilliant show. But in terms of being fair and representative of what businesses are really worth, uh, it's like dinosaurs. I mean, it's nonsense. It's just a million miles away from what actually valuations, because look, I agree, mate. And, you know, I see it now, or someone there, and they're like, well, you know, you're valuing it at 1.2 million and you haven't done this. Well, that's not how it really works, right? Because if it was, it would be investors that own all the businesses. Exactly. All the time. Exactly. I literally would love to be a dragon just to ruin the show. Just be like, I'll give you 50 grand for 1%. And everyone would be like, Wait, what? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's literally <laughs> what the rest of the world does with those businesses. So the entrepreneurs fucking own the businesses. That's the whole point. I would l- literally yeah, love to be that guy. <laughs> it's like you, like Tuka, bless him. You look at him in it. I just, every time he offers, I'm like, it's unbelievable. I'll give you 28 grand, yeah. but I'll give you, th- I want 37% of the business. And what will happen, they'll do the deal. They'll promise a lot. And this is the problem. Like, you have to pick the right investors. They, they will promise a lot. They'll take the investment, they'll do a few intros on email, and then they'll go, all right, I'm sat back. Yeah, of course, because they're one person. later on, it'll affect you. I think with, with investors, with entrepreneurs, you know, obviously there's an age and experience thing as well, but ultimately there's, you know, it's a two-sided reality and entrepreneurs should have probably the common sense that if an investor is promising the world, but has promised the world to a hundred other people too, they're still only one human being with 24 hours in the day and they've got their own shit going on too, usually families and stuff as well. You're just not going to get their time. I do think you know, there's a lot of things that entrepreneurs do in general where we blame everyone else, but also sometimes it's because you have a reality check yourself, which is like, well, what did you expect? Like that person is a busy person. They've invested in loads of other people. Of course, you can't go to them with every single problem. And that's something that I've learned as I've got more mature, right? When I'm entering into an agreement that's two-way with people, I'm, I try to take a much more realistic expectation of what I, what both of us can deliver on that. Yeah, and I think that's imposter syndrome. So I've suffered that a lot and a lot of people talk about it, right? So Warpaint was going well. We were doing sales, interested from VCs, raising capital. I can remember sitting across the first one interview, uh, sorry, 
VC negotiation, they're like, right, we think this could be worth this to this brand. We think it's incredible. I promise you, I'm sitting across the table going, there's no way I can fucking do that. There's no way I could build it to that. And so you're always looking for someone else to help you. And I was doing that a lot and trying to lean on other people and not believing that I could do it. And then that's a big thing. Once you start believing that actually you can do it better than a lot of people with your brands, it changes everything because you believe in your gut and stuff like that. So I, I do think that's a lot of imposter syndrome. People are leaning on other people or saying, well, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? When you could do a lot of it yourself, a lot. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't know if you publish your figures or anything, but how big is Warpaint? Can you give us an idea now from Dragon's Den up until now? What can you share? Well, three, coming up to four years old and we've pretty much double revenue year on year and we did over half a million in our first year. You know, but look, it's, it's cash intensive. This is the thing with, uh, and you always have to reinvest and a commodity, a product is always expensive. So, you know, you're doing these sales, but your, your cogs or cost of goods are a lot, right? Marketing, buff line marketing, especially what we're doing with wall paint. We had to do a lot of marketing because it's very difficult to get the customer in, right? Because it's a big fucking jump, mate, from people who don't even do skincare to maybe try makeup. But when people are in, returning customer rate was great. And we've literally just launched skincare. And actually, we just launched a super drug, 350 stores a couple of months ago, which is great. We just launched in JCPenney in America, just launched in Switzerland, 54 stores, um, launched in Australia with Maya. So it's all great, but it's very cash intensive and you always have to reinvest and you can't send still new product development. So it's still tough, right? Any product to get to a point is still tough. Okay, okay. So enough about Warpaint, which I think is a phenomenal brand. If you've listened to this podcast, you'll know I'm big on mental health. And Danny has created something which genuinely helps. It's called Jack. That's J-A-A-Q dot org. And it's basically a way for you to get answers to the things that are keeping you up at night, which is exactly where the idea came from. Actually, I came up with it at half one in the morning when I couldn't sleep. It's an interactive platform, completely free, Worlding experts on there, well-known people, all talking about mental health and giving their experience. We're using our own technology. It feels like you're having a conversation with us. We've got leading doctors for depression. We've got a lady on there called Janet Treasure, OBE. She's just been classed as the world leading expert on eating disorders. She's on there. You can ask her hundreds of questions about that. And the reason I wanted to create that, mate, is because making money is important, right? But I promise you now, the feeling you get when people reach out to you and say, thank you, is just... It blows the doors off anything. And I want to help as many people to not get in a position I, I was in. And that's why I think Jack can fill that void about getting the right information. Because at the minute, you go to Google and you put in what is depression, you get 3.2 billion hits of information. And then you go on them. The first one, I'll be honest, it's the NHS, what is depression, click on it, just go have a look. It's just five pages of text. People don't get empathy or anything from that. So hopefully we've got Jack, that's what we're trying to create with Jack, an interactive platform. You get the right information from not just the sufferer's perspective, but people who can support people in that position as well. And is it part of Warpaint or its own separate company? No, it's separate. Because I've, I've used Jack and I think it's absolutely brilliant. I've done um, a, a few of the guided ones, Alistair Campbell being the, like obviously the, when you launched, you know, the very memorable one is proper production and everything. So how did you get that together? I had that concept about using technology, this technology to have an interactive experience. And when I saw it, I was like, this could change everything for mental health. Because it's all about empathy for me, getting the right information. How do you digest it? Or you look at social media at the minute. Facebook used to be a, a forum you post on originally. Of course, it's evolved. Then you go to Instagram. It's all about fucking pictures. And what is it now? 
TikTok, short form TikTok, get the right information. So, and that was for me about how do you get these doctors who are world leading experts who can only see so many clients in a day, how do you get all of their information? Because they're answering the same questions every day, a hundred different ways. That's what I wanted to do. So literally you can go on there now, Paul Gilbert, leading expert OBE in the UK for depression. You can ask him 134 questions about depression. What is it? How long does it last? How can I support someone? And that's for me, if you get the right information, start understanding it can help someone. So look, at the beginning, it was something I wanted to do on the side as a side project. And I did look at a not-for-profit and charity, and then, but it soon dawned on me that that sort of model works well in certain ways. But if you want to create a, a proper product that is going to be expensive, it has to be monetized, right? To be able to afford to build it. So it was another business. And then we did raise some capital and we built this uh, platform. But the .org platform, jack.org, it is jaq.org, is always going to be free. Okay, so I guess, you know, it leads me to ask a question. So you've got uh, body dysmorphia. How do you manage it? What is, like, how does it show up in your life today? I just manage it now and I manage it really well. So for example, I had quite a lot of meetings this week. So I make sure I get my hair cut. I make sure I know what outfits I want to wear. Because what would happen before, I wouldn't know what outfit. I'll be worrying about it the night before. And in the morning, I'll try five outfits. And then when I'm trying to, I'll go through one outfit, don't like it. The next outfit, what used to happen, anxiety gets worse and worse and worse and I'm fucked, right? Because I could try five outfits. Cold showers, routine, getting up at the same time, doing the same thing for me in the morning, using makeup. My body dysmorphia is never going to leave. So there's a spectrum. It can be, it doesn't affect you at all. So it will stop you going out. And as long as my spectrum's down the lower end, I can honestly, I can manage, of course, I still have bad days. But it's understanding when I'm, I'm struggling getting ready, right, stop, take a breath. Don't worry if you're late somewhere. Have half an hour. I tell my team when I come in, I'm struggling a little bit today. It's just all of these little things. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, I, it's funny because we have both got the same experience in starting our businesses in the mental health space, which is a personal mental health experience that we were searching for a solution for, which didn't come for so long, went through a lot of pain, and through that pain and suffering, actually create an amazing opportunity that fulfills us and helps other people, which is rare. It is rare. It's a beautiful thing when you have an opportunity as an entrepreneur to start a business like that. And very common, right? Very common and so important to let people know who are catastrophizing about where they are in their life right now. Often, you're most awful, horrific experience also creates your best opportunity. Absolutely, man. Look, there is a space for people to build a business of a product they don't believe in. That happens a lot, right? And, you know, people see products anywhere. They buy on fucking Alibaba out of China. They put it somewhere. They've created a basic website, make some money. However, when you find something like I've found and you have found, I promise you, mate, I can't wait to go to bed in the morning to get up. And I'm fucking skint. I am skint. I haven't got any money. But I can't wait to go to bed in the morning to get up in the morning to go to work. And that, for me, is the difference. And what I'll say about that is what I just mentioned about AI. It's going to figure a lot of stuff out, right? And it's going to be a positive and a negative. So what is going to happen now, this is my personal view, you can build a website in 24 hours that will find your product to dropship. They'll make it look like it's designed by the best designer in the world. You can get it launched in 24 hours, dropshipping products out of fucking China, and have an amazing platform, right? So what that's going to do, five years ago, when I started Warpaint, people were doing that, but it was a lot of work in their bedroom. They'd have to build a website, they'd have to find product, they'd have to stock it, da 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 What I think is going to happen now in society, people are going to clock on that there's a lot of bullshit out there. And a lot of people who can create a website in 24 hours, and it's got no purpose. 
no soul, except for making fucking money. And I promised you now, I think a lot of people are going to start searching and really looking who they're buying from rather than just about the fucking product. And so for me, I'm excited about that because I think there's a lot of bullshit out there. You've got like two businesses now, essentially, right? And I guess the problem is you really, really care about both of them. So how do you split your time? And do you ever feel like conflicted about where if you were just all in on one or the other, like how the exponential impact could go? It's hard because it is time consuming, but you know, I'm passionate about both of them. So it's easy for me. And for me with Warpaint, Jack was not, it wasn't a choice. I had to do it. Do you see what I'm saying? So it wasn't a case, I just want to start another business on board of Warpaint. That is not, Warpaint's my baby. But it was just, my passion was I have to do something. And for me, they go hand in hand. What I was doing is promoting to use products to effectively mask your mental health or help at all, but I wasn't doing anything to get your mind right. And that's what I talked about at Warpaint. So now for me, that's what I'm trying to do, right? Of course, go and use, here's some options for you, buy it if you want or not. But hopefully with Jack, we can create something for you that might be able to help this thing out, which is the main thing. So, and I didn't know, I, like when I started Warpaint, I didn't know I wanted to do that. Yeah, it's inside out, right? You've got the, literally the face of it and then what's going on inside your head. So you're kind of solving for both sides. And then interestingly, you know, where Heights comes in, my business, you know, we make products for uh, gut and brain. So literally like the nutritional side. So it's really interesting because you've got all of the different facets. And I think this is it, right? Which is when it comes to mental health and when it comes to well-being in general, there's a lot of tools and you've got to find the right tools. Some tools are essential and some tools are nice to have and some tools are very specific to your specific experience of the world. But the only thing that should never be accepted is the idea that there's nothing out there for you, there's no help for you, and there's nothing that you can do about it. You can always do something about it. And just give it a go. Do you know what I mean? I think a lot of anxiety is the unknown. It's always in the future. Uh, 99% of the time, it's about something that might be happening over here you're anxious about. And a lot of people will not feel comfortable to try, look, try makeup, right? Gut health. They might not be comfortable to try a new diet. They might not be comfortable to try cold showers. They might not be comfortable to try acupuncture. They might not be comfortable to do yoga. They might not think it's right for them to do this. All I'm a big believer is just try something because you never know. Danny Gray, who's just the kind of man we need more of. If you're struggling with something, check out Jack or ask for help. It's the start of getting better. Thanks for listening to this episode of Secret Leaders. I hope you enjoyed it. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta. This episode was produced by Ruth Edwards with the help of Lower Street and brought together by our head of podcasts, Will Stolomon. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.